The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 18th chapter. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while the judge refused. But later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so she, cannot wear, so she might not wear me out by continually coming to me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to the, to the chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will God delay in helping them? I tell you, God will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. I invite you all to be seated. So there's, there's a little bit of a difference between preaching in one place all the time and jumping around and preaching in different places. What I'm doing now is I'm starting my timer because we all have to learn new things, right? And, some, and I learned that in situations where I'm uncomfortable, sometimes I run my mouth a little more than what I plan. That's just the way life works out. Sometimes, though, I speak exactly as much as I intend, and those times often revolve around me calling customer service because something is not going the way I want it to go. Anyone in here ever call customer service because something's not going the way you want to go? Well, sometimes we do say things we don't intend, because what happens when we call them? We're not happy when we call them, right? Well, typically, if, you're, if you get a phone call from me, because even though I don't find text messaging to be the most efficient way of talking to people, I do find that that's the way I talk to a lot of people a lot of times is by text message. And so if I call you, it's because I think it's something important. It's something that I, I want to make certain either you hear my tone of voice because I, I don't want it to be read in a way that I don't mean it, or because I feel like I'm not being heard, like with customer service. You know, there, there's a reason that we take our time and our energy to, to make a really intentional personal contact with somebody. And, you know, that was true back in, back in Jesus' day as well. You know, it's not like you could hop in the car and go down to the, go down to the office, the government office, or down to the store and talk to customer service there. Wherever you went, you had to walk. And so what, if you really wanted to go and talk to somebody, it took a real significant investment of time and energy to be able to do that. And so this, this widow, who we know about widows, that they didn't have a lot of money because women didn't inherit things, Right. We know about widows that they were very dependent upon people who often weren't very faithful in making certain they got what they were supposed to get. And so this widow who had some sort of problem had gone to this judge. And who of us has ever gone to talk to a judge for fun, right? So she was there because this was something that was important to her. This is something that was bothering her. And I have a feeling that she had a way of making herself heard you know, I, I was looking for pictures because in the uh, 8.30 service, we use the, the thing all the time here. And in this service, I won't make someone try to thumb through and see if they can find it. But one of the pictures was somebody who was yelling, and the face of the person they were yelling at was bent from the force of their voice. You know, if you're going to get somebody who really doesn't want to do something to, to do what you want them to do, sometimes you just have to say it really forcefully. And so I imagine this woman going time and time and time and time and time and time and time again, 
you know, and I remember those moments in my childhood when I, and you know, growing up in the 80s, it was, it was mom, can I have a G.I. Joe? Mom, can I have a G.I. Joe? Mom, can I have a, you know? And eventually, sometimes, she would finally give in. But just as often, you know, I would still be asking for a while. And so for this judge who doesn't want to do the right thing, to finally be able to change his mind, you know, that was due to great persistence on the part of the widow. And Jesus lifts this up as a virtue. Jesus lifts up as a virtue her persistence, even when she wasn't getting the things she wanted. And it's also interesting to me that he lifted this up as a model of prayer. Because I think sometimes when we say prayers, you know, one of my prayers when I, when I took tests was, God, even though I didn't study, help me to find the right answers. <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one who's ever prayed that one, but I guarantee I prayed it anytime I had a test. You know, or, or other prayers are, are more prayers that we worry aren't going to be answered maybe because, you know, the reality of life just goes the other way. We get a diagnosis we don't want, or, or something happens at work that changes and we don't have any control over it, or something happens in our family when someone makes a decision that we don't have a lot of, you know, it just, it's hard because there are a lot of things we don't have any control over. And I think this persistence in looking for those things that we hope will be the outcome we're looking for is a quality that we have in prayer, not because God gives us everything we want, but because sometimes we just need to believe there's an ability to make something different than what exists right now. I also like this image of God as the widow. God, who is talking to people who doesn't often want to hear what God has to say, you know, and, if you, and I don't know if you're like me, but it, the quickest way to get me not to do something is to tell me to do it, right? If someone were to say, Eric, I'm giving you a commandment, I'll say, great, I'm really eager to hear what I'm going to choose not what to do, right? And, and so sometimes that's what God is telling us is, you know, God is saying to us over and over and over again in hopes that somehow we might hear. And yet, God who knows our hearts knows us well enough to know that sometimes even that persistence doesn't pay off in getting us to do what we're supposed to do. You know, it's, 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 it's just got to be so frustrating to be God who sees what we're doing and knows the way parents understand the actions of their children and also knowing that sometimes we have to let people make the bad decision and, and suffer the consequences in order for them to understand what, why it is that what we have for them to do is really something that's good and important. You know, that's just such a frustrating thing. And to talk about God in the context of being somehow powerless is strange, but I'm finding that as a parent, there are moments where I'm powerless to, to get my 18-month-old to, to see the reason that I have for, for her to do things. And no matter how much I try to explain it to her, she just doesn't always seem to care what my reason is. She wants to do what she wants to do. And, you know, in the same way that love makes us vulnerable, I think love always also causes us to experience that fear of being powerless, right? I uh, met Jesus this morning at Dunkin' Donuts. I know, first you're thinking, well, which one? Because there's a million of them. And, and second, you're thinking, well, what was Jesus doing at Dunkin' Donuts, right? Well, when I met Jesus at Dunkin' Donuts, he was sitting there with his dog, and he saw me in, his, in my collar walking into Dunkin' Donuts, and he says, hey, preacher, shouldn't you be in church? And I said, well, it's not that far down the road. Why don't you come with me? I'm just down at, you know, I'll be at Lutheran Church of Our Redeemer, and it'll be fun. We're receiving new members. Come on, you know, and, 
And he said, well, can I bring my dog? Which was funny because like if I were preaching in the congregation in South Carolina that I was in, I could have probably told him yes and gotten away with it. I didn't know whether, I figured probably not this Sunday, you know, if we were prepared for it, maybe next week, right? But we had this conversation about, you know, why he was asking me about church but didn't really want to go, which is something that a lot of church people wonder. Why do people not want to come to church, right? So he told me the story of how he grew up Catholic. He told me the story of how he went to years of school. He went to Notre Dame, which, you know, nobody's perfect. But, he, you know, all these years of, of education and then the, the clergy abuse scandal came about. And all of a sudden, he didn't know what to do with that. And he said, I, I don't know everything, but I know that's something that I don't need to be a part of, not because, you know, the, the church is a bad place, but because he saw something that we all see eventually, that even people in church are human. And the really unfortunate thing that resulted in a lot of problems for a lot of people and a lot of woundedness that persists to this day is that sometimes when people act like people, it stinks on ice and people get hurt. And so he, he started telling me about what this was like for me. And I remembered one of the times where I realized that the people in church were people. I had uh, I'd grown up in a, in a congregation in South Carolina. We were charter members of the church. You know, I was 12 years old or so when we joined. And my Sunday school teachers who taught me how to love Jesus, who taught me about loving each other, my, my pastor knew that I wanted to be a pastor and either he was rewarding me for my, you know, for wanting to do this new thing or else he was trying to, to persuade me not to do it. He put me on council and it happened to be that we were redoing the sanctuary at the time. And uh, when we were redoing the sanctuary, two of my Sunday school teachers who I loved and respected were arguing about, a, about two colors as if it was the end of the world and I literally could not tell the difference between them. And it was one of the most bitter arguments I've seen in my adult life to this day. You know, all of a sudden, these people who were the saints of God, who were part of my cloud of witnesses, who taught me about Jesus, were people. You remember the day your parents became people? And what that felt like? Or, or maybe the day you became people for your kids? Or, or maybe the day your spouse became a person? You know, how much that hurts. And... One of the things we talked about in confirmation this morning was uh, we were talking about the commandments and the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, which they felt so comfortable talking about with me. And, you know, we were talking about how it's so easy for the people who are closest to us to hurt us in ways that nobody else can because we just don't expect it. So I met Jesus where I often meet Jesus, and it's at the foot of the cross where our woundedness sits. I think this is where Jacob is, where we meet him. Jacob is someone who, after years of running, years of kidding himself about who he was, and years of trying to act like he was a good person, finally, maybe in order to move on with life, maybe he was getting older and he was trying to make peace with God, or I don't know, maybe for whatever reason, he felt like he needed to make up with his brother. And so he was going home. But Jacob hadn't changed enough yet. Because what did Jacob do? Jacob was someone who always was, I'm going to play a trick, and then I'm going to try to get out of it with another trick, and then when the jig is up, I'm going to run. You know, remember where we meet Jacob almost immediately is him colluding with his mother, trying to steal the gift, the inheritance of his brother Esau. Remember that story? And then when he got caught, he ran so that Esau wouldn't kill him. Well, all these years, 
His context has been Esau wants to kill me, but now he's going home to make peace. Jacob isn't a good guy yet because he takes his family. And isn't this an interesting construction of family? His two wives, his concubines, and then his children. And he breaks them up into two parties. And he sends one party out across the bridge and lets the other one sit on this side of the bridge. And then he waits over here for the night. Why do you think he would divide up his family? Because he figured if Esau was still angry enough to kill him, he'd have to go through two sets of people first. And maybe by the time he got through those two sets of people, his anger would have worn off enough not to kill him. Nice guy, right? And then he wrestles. And what's interesting is the person he wrestles with, we translate it a lot of times as God or an angel. It's the Hebrew word Elohim, which is a, a, it can mean God, capital G, but it can also mean like celestial being of no real definition other than not from around here. Another thing it might be, imagine the things that he had to struggle with in order to do this. He had to struggle with guilt and shame and fear and self-doubt. You know, think of the things that go into having to make an apology of this magnitude, right? So maybe the wrestling wasn't necessarily with someone who was from outside. Maybe the wrestling was just with himself and he came out wounded. Because sometimes when we struggle with those things that are so deeply seated in our identity, we can't tell anybody, even ourselves, about them. It wounds us when we face them. And, and it takes that night and a new name. And remember, I like names. Jacob means the one who supplants. Remember, he came out grabbing Esau's heel when they were born as twins, trying to take away from the very moment they were born the birthright that Esau had. And he gets a new name, which is wrestles with God, Israel. A name that we identify with as people of God, Israel. We wrestle with God because it's so hard for us sometimes to be able to understand what God is calling us to do. And so it's only then that Jacob engages in a behavior that might begin healing. He walks out past the two stations of family that he has put in between him and Esau, and he goes and confronts his brother and confronts his fear and confronts his past. And finally, after all those years of something nagging at him that brought him back home. Not because he has any real respect for anything else, but because he just couldn't let it go. He's gone to make peace with his brother. You know, we, we think about that place of woundedness where we find that we just don't have the capacity to go on as if we'd been going on before. Where, whether it's rock bottom, or, or whether it's finally more uncomfortable to be where we are than to go where we need to go, there, there comes that moment where we just can no longer continue along the same path that we've been going, and we've got to do something new. And whether we're the unjust judge who seems completely unrepentant, or whether, whether we're just stubborn and afraid like Jacob, we, we meet Jesus in that moment where we feel like we just don't have really anything else we can turn to sometimes, most clearly and more clearly than we have ever met him anywhere in our lives. You know, I, that's why I say I met Jesus this morning at Dunkin' Donuts. It's because for that person, I represented an institution that had disappointed him so, so deeply that 
He just couldn't help himself but cry out when he saw me. That's biblical, isn't it? Doesn't that sound like narratives we hear in the Bible? Where are those places in your life that your heart is crying out so clearly that you just can't stop yourself but answer? Who are are those people in your life that are pestering you because they they need something from you that you're just not willing to... Some things aren't healthy to give, and that's okay. But, you know, there are also those places in our lives where we have those relationships that just need fixing, and we just don't know how to do it. When we go out from this place, you know, remember that God is both the one who hears and the one who pesters. We pray that we have the, the ability to know the difference. Amen.